I invite you this evening to turn in your Bibles to the book of Job. We're going to be in the book of Job. If there's a part of the book of Job that gets preached uh, quite a bit, it's usually the very beginning and the very end. And we are going to look at that. It's a familiar part of the book of Job. And um, talking about praying for our children, a couple different passages did come to my mind as far as uh, biblical examples of praying for our children. Uh, maybe we'll save it for another time, but a powerful prayer for children would be that of Hannah. Uh, the Han- Hannah, when she went before the Lord, for this child I prayed. She prayed. She remember she was barren. Uh, she asked God to provide for her a, a child, and uh, Samuel was born, which means Shmuel means God hears. My God hears, and so God answered that prayer of Hannah. And of course, uh, Hannah's concern for Samuel didn't stop there or stop when he was brought to Eli into the tabernacle. She remember came visit him on a regular basis, yearly basis even, uh, for his, in a service for the Lord. Nonetheless, God hears the prayer uh, for, for children, and we're going to see that. But we're also going to see another very powerful example of prayer for our children. That's found here with the person of Job in the book of Job. Um, it's interesting that the book of Job, we, we know much uh, that this, this idea, or excuse me, the theme of the book of Job is really dealing with suffering, that there really is no easy answer to suffering. And I think like... Um, like Job's friends who came alongside to try to counsel him and give him advice and things like that. I think in a sense they were, they were trying to simplify God and trying to figure out what, what was going on with Job. That He had lost pretty much everything in his life, lost his health, lost his family, lost possessions, pretty much everything. Uh, he was very lonely and uh, his friends are quick to point out ideas. But I think sometimes we try to simplify who God is, and within that we see that even through suffering, God is wise, all wise. And so when we look at the book of Job, we see the bookends of Job, or it's in Job chapter 1, predominantly, and a little bit in Job chapter 2. And then later on in the last chapters of Job, Job 41 and 42, that's kind of the bookends of it, and we're going to kind of look at the character study of Job. And so that's kind of what we're looking at tonight. So in, in praying for our children, uh, I want to, before we get into the text here, I want to say this, that uh, when my wife and I were married, now 21 years ago, we had dreams, that actually even before we were married, we, we talked with one another. When I uh, asked Mandy um, to, to date her, uh, I, uh, we decided to date with the purpose of marriage in mind. We weren't just going to do a, a flippant Hey, let's just hang out together. No, we, we were pretty serious about it. So we decided to date with the purpose of marriage in mind. The interesting thing was that Mandy was in college in East Tennessee, in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I was a student at Northland Baptist Bible College up in Wisconsin. And so we did have a long-distance relationship, so we really only got to see each other on breaks, if that makes any sense. Uh, but we were on the phone pretty much every day, and uh, usually that's not a one-minute phone call, if you get what I mean. <laughs> Long days. But we, are, we had a relationship that we committed ourselves to and to the Lord, and uh, we decided to date with a purpose of marriage in mind. It was a very committed relationship. But nonetheless, we had dreams of raising a family for the Lord and wherever He would serve us. And at the time, we knew and I knew I, we were going to, to overseas and in in, work in missions. Uh, but uh, we learned uh, even early on in our marriage that we actually had uh, difficulty uh, for several years of having a child. I think it took us about four years uh, before Linnea came along, and actually it was very rough for our family. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we cried out to the Lord, Lord, give us a child. We want to raise a family. That was very important to us. Uh, but for whatever reason, God 
withheld that blessing for that time for four years. We, we diligently prayed. I know there are some that pray even longer, uh, and you feel like you're banging your head up against the wall. Lord, when are you going to answer our prayer? We prayed very hard for that. I remember we were actually in Israel at this time, and I remember watching a, uh, believe it or not, we got from a station out of Cyprus, we were able to watch the 700 Club with Pat Robertson. And they had, of course, little news stories and all that, but they had a little story about adoption. And Mandy was in the other room at the time, and so I watched it probably five, six minutes of the story about adoption and having a heart for, you know, to, to adopt children, which we heard a lot about today, actually, from Colleen Tronson. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the Lord just broke my heart after hearing that story. And I prayed to God, Lord, if it be your will, if you're not going to give us you know, children physically, Lord, we will. I'm open to adoption. I, I think that would be a wonderful, Lord. We would love to do that. And I started just crying. And Mandy comes in from the other room, and there I am just wiping the tears from my eyes. And like, honey, we can ad- let's adopt. Like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know, she wasn't expecting that. But nonetheless, we, we even prayed about that. And uh, it was really probably, I don't know, probably about five, six months after that, that's when we found out Linnea's coming. And so uh, we, we prayed about that. Now, here's the thing, and uh, I've talked a little bit about before about our pro-life work that we did in Israel. And we, we, we uh, kind of co-worked a little bit with a group called Be'er Chaim, which means pro-life. It was a, uh, believers in Jesus who have a pro-life agency there. And we did a lot of work actually with Project Nehemiah and with Be'er Chaim. We worked together in helping families uh, who, uh, families who decide to keep their babies from abortion. And um, God just really blessed in so many ways through that ministry. Uh, and so I remember, though, when we were pregnant with Linnea, uh, I, I can't remember exactly the circumstance, but it was one of the first doctors that we had an appointment with, an Israeli doctor. And the first question, if we sit down in his office, he asked this question. So, you want to keep it? That was the very first question. Uh, hang around Israelis enough and you're not kind of surprised, but it, it kind of made us catch our breath for a second. Of course we want to keep the child. Uh, but believe it or not, that is a question asked a lot uh, in doctor's offices in Israel. Hey, you want to keep it? Linnea, we kept you. We're, and we're thankful. Okay? We love you, girl. All right? So, of course we would. But I think what we learned through that, what Mandy and I learned through that, that experience is that we learned quickly that we needed to pray for each step as we brought children into this world, as God allowed us. We talked this morning that children are in heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is His reward. And so we view that, that each child is a reward, is part of that inheritance. It's a good thing. It's a blessing. And so we rejoice in the fact that God has blessed us with children. Again, not every family has that blessing per se, and that doesn't mean that those with kids or those with more kids are more blessed than those that don't have kids. But in God's general plan, uh, children are a blessing that He gives to families, and that is His plan uh, for us to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's the idea. And so, in looking at that story, and it kind of my mind went to the story of Job. And so let's look in Job chapter 1. And let's read the first couple verses here of this chapter. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Ten kids right there. What do you got them beat? About, by the way, what's the breakdown of your family? Okay, very good. So seven sons, boy, seven boys, three daughters. Okay, all right. But you understand it. You understand what Job went through. Okay. So understand this. Okay. Verse, verse 3. 
His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Well, pretty impressive. And then it says in verse 4, And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. So the idea is this in verse 4, that they feasted in their houses, eat everyone his, his day. This is, some uh, commentators believe this is on their birthdays, or some type of special, because each of them had their own special day. Nonetheless, uh, it says in verse 5, And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... And so, in these verses here, we are introduced to a pious man named Job who feared the Lord. And obviously, that, was, that came first in his life. He sought the Lord, and it, it says here at the very beginning that he, unto him was born seven sons, three daughters. Seven boys, three girls. All right, quite the household there. But understand this. Look at the order. I want you to see this. You see Job and his relationship with God how that he was a perfect man, meaning uh, blameless is the idea. You couldn't really fault Job for anything. He was just a straight-up guy, okay? He feared the Lord. And then it talks about his family in verse 2. And then in verse 3, it talks about what? His possessions. Usually in our culture, and I think just generally around the world, but especially in our culture today, what do we normally value? Someone's value is based on their possessions first, and maybe their children second. I'll be honest with you, that's kind of what, what makes a man today. It's like how much money he makes, how many houses he owns, how many sports cars he, he likes to drive. Uh, it's all that's fun for sure, but a lot of times I think we get that reversed in our culture. It was like, what can we attain? We talked about this morning about King Solomon. Are you building a house of vanity or are you building a home of value? Okay, that's the difference here. Solomon's house of vanity was this. He had 700 wives and 300 uh, combines, porcupines, concubines, you know, all that good stuff. All right, so, but like I said, of, we know all the wives he had, but how many of the sons? I mean, you would imagine that of all those women, he would have had a boatload of kids, all right? Filled up a cruise ship, you know, we, that's what we would think of. But all in all, what do we know about his kids? We really only know really of one, Rehoboam. That's it. Talk about a legacy you want to live for your generations to come. Now, God did bless Solomon. He was the wisest man who ever lived, but he kind of had to grow up into that, so to speak. And at the end of his life, he writes Ecclesiastes, writes Proverbs, and uh, I guess we can learn from his mistakes. Nonetheless, God did bless him. Here, though, I think this is important in the layout that we have of the book of Job. Look at the, the order of how things are presented is so key. It talks about his relationship with God talks about his family, which this here is his greatest wealth. His family is his greatest wealth, the, the uh, seven children, or excuse me, the ten children here. We talked again this morning from Psalm 127 that children are an heritage or an inheritance of the Lord. They are a blessing from God, and the fruit of them is his reward. The, the idea of a reward there is... Uh, Again, this is not, a child is not, again, a clump of cells or something that you can have today and cast away tomorrow. No, a, a, ch- a child, according to God's plan, is a reward that's been uh, basically bestowed upon a family. 
you are now, like we have a, a heritage of the Lord, is like a, a um, like an inheritance. Think of, for example, that something was handed down to you from maybe your grandmother or grandfather. Maybe a, a set of fine dishes, uh, or it doesn't have to be that fine, but maybe there's a set of dishes, a plate or a picture that your grandmother maybe gave to you, or your grandfather gave you his special left-handed screwdriver that no one else could use except him. You know what I'm saying? That one special thing, and that became, or maybe his special rifle, his old 22, something like that. He passed that down to you. How are you going to treat that heritage? How are you going to treat that inheritance? You're going to value that. And that's the thing. Children are to be valued even more so than those things that we talked about here. So this is very important. As uh, we talked earlier, this is just a recap from Sunday morning, but as Warren Worsby says that children really are in the home. They are a treasury. They are a treasury. They are a blessing. Yes, they can be a burden at times, but they are overall a blessing. That's God's design. But we see here, Job's greatest wealth was his family. But another thing when we talked about, and this is where we get to praying for our children, Job interceded for his family. Look at me again in verse 5. And it was so that when the days of their feasting, the kids' feasting were gone about, that Job sent, sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that the sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So Job here, he interceded on behalf of his children. And in that, he kind of acted in this Old Testament way, almost like a priest for his family. He offered up these offerings uh, unto the Lord. And uh, these burnt offerings because of perhaps their sins that they had. Uh, it doesn't go on to explain exactly what those sins would be per se. But I think something, a key thing that we can pray for for our children as well. Number one, pray for your child's salvation or your grandkids' salvation. This should be top when that, before even that child is born. And we did that with our children as well. That we prayed for their salvation. That there would come a time where they would understand their need of a Savior and would turn to Christ. For their salvation. That is paramount. We pray for that. I rejoice with our children that they, each of them got saved at an early age. They could tell you their own testimony. What a blessing that is. And so this is why it's important that we raise godly families, husbands and wives, uh, grandparents. uh, We need to raise godly kids, godly grandkids. Okay. Don't raise good kids. Raise godly kids. There's a big difference. Okay. Neighbor down the street, they can raise good kids. Yeah, they won't cheat, they won't swear, they won't be mean to others. But I tell you what, you raise godly kids, and that is an investment for eternity. Okay? So pray for their salvation. Okay? And then secondly, pray for their sanctification. Uh, it says here, in, again in verse 5, Job said and sanctified them. Set them. Sanctification has the idea of setting them apart. And when we pray for our, the sanctification of our children... We are praying that they would be set apart from the world's influences, the world's devices, that they would not be ensnared with the trappings of this world that would basically lure them away from what God wants. Uh, I, I, it drives me up a wall, folks, and I'm, maybe I'm getting to the flesh, but I think I have scripture to back this up, okay? <laughs> but put it this way, when we give our kids the option whether or not to go to church on Sunday, we make God unnecessary. That's the bottom line, folks. Now, I'm not saying that the church is perfect. We're not. We're sinners, pray, hopefully saved by grace. That's the idea. But God has said, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of sin is, as we see the day approaching. Very important that we get our families into the house of God for that fellowship. This is a family atmosphere, folks. 
We need every generation. One thing I love about Victory Baptist Church is we really have every age group more or less represented here. We have babies in the nursery. Praise God for those four babies we have. Okay? All the way to senior saints and about everything in between. There's a lot of churches, Man and I could attest to this, that when we travel around on deputation, we spoke at probably hundreds of churches around the country, and almost the vast majority, I would say the majority of churches we went to, you had senior saints bringing their grandkids. And that middle age there, the, the millennial, the Gen Z, Gen Xs, there was almost absent, maybe one or two. That was it. There was like a huge generation gap in our churches. And you see that in so many places. All right? I mean, that's a little bit of a hobby horse. But I think this, this is very telling. This is very concerning for us. This is why it's so important that we get our kids into church and into the Word of God. How important that we pray for that. Pray for our children to do that. Okay? So, like I said, don't raise your kids just to be good. Raise them to be godly. Pray for each of them. Look at this in Job, uh, verse 5 here. It says, He offered up burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So don't just don't pray for your kids. God, just bless my kids today. Pray for them individually. Each of, do, by the way, and you guys know this, especially in Woody, I'm going to Woody's family. Okay, I could go to Skip and Bev. You have a whole tribe. Grandkids and great-grandkids and everything. Are each of your kids different? Would you pray for your, each child differently then? They all have their different perspectives, different needs, different wants, desires, talents, etc. You need to pray that God would use those talents in such a way that would please Him, okay? Each one is carefully and craftily made, okay? So pray for each of them. Even Job did. Job prayed for them one by one. He numbered them, is the idea. Therefore, we need to pray for each of our child individually by name. And then... Uh, fifth, pray for them regularly. He says he prayed for them early in the morning and also at the very end, thus did Job do continually or regularly. We need to be in a regular time of prayer for our children. I try to do that every day, especially as I get up in the morning. Uh, I try as I'm getting doing my morning routine. I try to pray for my family. I pray, try to pray for each of my children by name, that God would bless them and work in their lives in different ways. And so this is why. Why do we need to pray for our children? Because they are sinners in need of grace. Wait a minute, preacher. What are you saying? My child's a sinner? Whew. Man, you're stepping on some toes there, okay? How many of you have ever, don't, maybe this, this isn't said of you, right? How many say, no, my child never do anything wrong. No, those kids down the street, you can't tell them what to do, anything. I mean, they're just, they're just bad kids. But my kids, they're angels. They're perfect. Never do anything wrong. Folks, we're all born with that want to to sin. You can cover it up. You can put lipstick on a pig, but what? It's still <laughs> big, okay? I'm not saying your kids are. But nonetheless, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. This is very important. That's why we should pray regularly for our children. This is so important. Did you know what? This is a ministry. This is a ministry that you and I have, okay? I think this is what F.B. Meyer said. What a beautiful example is furnished by Job to Christian parents. When your girls are going among strangers and your boys into the great ways of the world and you are unable to impose your will upon them as in the days of childhood, you can yet pray for them. Casting over them the shield of intercessions with strong cryings and tears. They are beyond your reach, but by faith you can move the arm of God on their behalf. So yes, as your kids and even your grandkids grow and basically get out of the nest, so to speak, prayer works. 
You can still pray for them. You still have that influence in their life. Very important. Why is this all important? Why did Job do these things? Because I don't think he realized it, but Job was about to face an epic war. Because why? Verse 6 says what? Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Satan is accusers. Have you considered Job? Okay. All right. And we know from this point on, Job is afflicted. He suffers greatly. And you can read the rest of the chapters. that Job suffers immensely. He loses his possessions. He loses his children he just prayed for. Um, he loses his servants. Uh, his wife even says, curse God and die. I mean, he has no support. Even his friends kind of, more or less come and accuse him. Job, you got to do better than this. For the next nearly 40, 40 some chapters, Job is going through the muck of life. Okay? And so Job was facing an epic war. It was the spiritual war that affected the physical war. And those things go intertwined. Okay? Very important as we see that. So before we get to the end of the story, though, Let's talk about what we can do. And looking at this in the epic war, and the fact is this, that our children, our families are in an epic war today. There is an epic war, a spiritual battle for our children, trying to get our child's attention, our grandkids' attention, uh, to get them to think about thinking biblically. We've been talking about that recently as well on Sunday nights. How do we get our children to think biblically? Because we are in an epic war. Okay, here's a couple of things that I, I wrote down earlier. Here's some lessons of prayer for our children. As we face this war, number one, pray before they are born. Pray before you're born. Now, a lot, a lot of us here, here we probably are not going to be in that season of life of having another child ourselves, but with grandkids or other family members that have been born, when you hear that, ah, we're expecting a baby in so many months, pray now. Start praying now. Why? Is that important? Absolutely. Okay? Start praying now. Pray before that child is born. Another thing, too, is in prayer is yourself. Model a godly example for them. Model a, a godly example for them. You might tell your, that child, hey, you need to go to church. You need to read the Bible. But if you don't do those things yourself, you know what? You can't, you can't kid a kid. All right? They're going to see right through that. Okay? Very important as we see that. Another thing is to train them in the ways of the Lord. Uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 that these words which I command this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. When you sit in the house, walk by the way, you lie down, you rise up. Let the word of God be a part of the daily life. You're sharpening iron. Train them, uh, train your children the way that they should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So very important as we see that. Train your children in the way of the Lord. Model that yourself. Talk about a ministry that we have. That's an important ministry. By the way, let me just say this. Training your children is not something that I can really do much. Yes, I'm the pastor, I preach and all that, but you know where we're, really where this is going to count? In your own home, in your own family, when you get together at Thanksgiving for a birthday party or whatever. You have that influence that I will never have. You have a vital role as, uh, as an intercessor for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Very important as we see that. Okay, now here's the thing. We talked, and F.B. Meyer talks about when your children finally leave the nest, what do we do? How do you do that? And here's something very key and important. Uh, I like this quote. I heard this some years ago. There will come a time in your relationship with your child when your role as the seat of authority will become the seat of advice. Think about that. There's going to come a time in your relationship with your child or even your grandchild when your role as the seat of authority will become the seat of advice. All right? You can tell your 
your, the child, hey, stop doing that. And you know what? When they're young, that's usually good enough. I'm starting to get from, well, I won't say which kid. They're going to say, well, give me a real answer. <laughs> and so as they grow older, you become really more of the seat of advice. For example, Linnea just got her driver's license. All right? In a sense, I am not the authority. I can't really tell her you got to do this and that. She's having to do that on her own. I can't drive for her. Okay? That's illegal. All right? <laughs> She's going to have to do that on her own. That's more or less the seat of advice. How about education? When they go and they're going, as they're going through that, they're going to college, maybe some tech school, doing something like that. I can give them advice on where to go, but I can't necessarily control that. And then even marriage. I can guide them. I can give advice on which, which, uh, which, uh, what type of person you should marry that should be godly, uh, that should be faithful, uh, who loves the Lord, uh, who is a Christian. These are all very good uh, fundamental things, but I can't necessarily control every whim about my child's choices as they grow older. So again, there's a change when the seat of authority, your role as a seat of authority changes to the seat of advice. And for some years, there's going to be that overlapping a little bit. You've got to kind of watch that for that. So here's a key verse, a key Bible verse in parenting, um, or grandparenting for that matter. And we actually sang on this earlier tonight. First, or 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The thing is this, as we commit ourselves, or even our families, our children and grandchildren to the Lord, even by prayer... And this is what Paul is saying in that passage in 2 Timothy. Paul committed himself in everything precious in his life as a deposit to the Lord in the light of the Lord's glorious return. In other words, these children, these grandchildren are entrusted to you. You are stewards of them. You are responsible for them. And as a heritage, as a reward, we need to care for them as best as we can with God's grace. But don't do it for our glory. Again, what does it say? He who builds a house by his own, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Again, we are not building our families in our own strength. We need to build it by the grace of God in his presence. Very important. Again, we, we should commit our life and everything precious in our life as a deposit to the Lord in light of the Lord's glorious return. You know who did that? Hannah. He, she did that with Samuel. She dedicated him to the Lord. Lord, you've entrusted to me for that. I think another person you could probably think of was uh, Jochebed when she entrusted Moses, when she put him in that basket in the bulrushes. She entrusted him to the Lord's care. Okay? And so when we think about that, this is exactly what we do with our children. Now, don't put your children in a basket down the Nile River. Maybe you're tempted to some days. Okay? (laughs) But nonetheless, this is the important thing. We entrust our children, our grandchildren, to the Lord. And guess what? He will watch over them. He blesses that, okay? So let's quickly end tonight by looking at the aftermath of Job. Turn with me to the end of Job, chapter 42. Job, chapter 42. These are really some precious verses. Now, again, these verses really, uh, it's hard to put in context unless you know what Job went through. On your own time, you can read through that whole section of what Job suffered tremendously in his life. He lost everything pretty much in his own life. And how did he come up out of it? Again, he he asked a question, Lord, why? And he changes the question a little bit later on to who? Who are you, God? And that's what we learned from that. In Job chapter 42, let's begin in verse 10. 
It says, and, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. He not only prayed for his children, he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren, all sisters that he had that been his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with them in his house, and, bemoan, and they bemoaned him, and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon them. And every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So there's kind of a restoration, uh, reconciliation going on. Verse 12, so Job blessed the latter, or excuse me, God blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses. In other words, God doubled his possessions that he had before. Then verse 13, look at this. And he, also, he had also seven sons and three daughters, just like before. God replenished his stock, his family stock, Okay. And he called the name of the first Jemima, second Keziah, and the third Keren Hapuch. In all, in all the land, there was no woman found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. We see, like I said, first of all, his materials doubled. God blessed him. We see that his children doubled. And he said, wait a minute. That's the same number of kids he had at the beginning. Well, you know what? According to God's plan, are those children gone forever? No, because Job anticipated, he hoped to see his deceased children in the resurrection. Job 19, verse 25, 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He had the hope of a resurrection. Therefore, his children are still living. King David had the same idea. When his son died after the sin of Bathsheba, he says, you know, I, I, he cannot return to me, but I will go to him, is the idea. There, there is an, a, a sense of reunion there. We also see that Job's children were blessed. If you look at it, verses 14 and 15. God's, here's the point. God blessed Job in so many ways. And if you look at the order, remember at the very beginning, look at this, how it, it, it's really amazing. Job mentions his character, and then his children, which is his real wealth. And third, his worldly possessions that he had. Now, at the end of Job, we see his, first of all, as a person, who, or we see his blessings as uh, his wealth. Then we see his children. And then we see his character at the very end. It's kind of like a, a, a chiasm, as we say. Okay, very interesting when you see that layout. But here's the point. God's blessings to us, as we are faithful to the Lord, God's, if God has blessed you, it extends to our family. Have you ever seen that? When God blesses you, maybe for when a, when a child is born into your home, is, doesn't that everyone get to share in that blessing? That's God's plan anyway, okay? Some people might not, but overall, that is God's blessing to your whole family to rejoice in that. And God's, God bless this. God's blessing extends to our family. We see also, here's something really interesting, verse 15, that Job's uh, daughters received an inheritance, Back in those days, that was very strange. Only the boys, first, firstborn especially, they got the inheritance. Because why? When you married off your daughters back then, you made some other family clan stronger because you took on their name. Okay? But here we see that Job's daughters got an inheritance, which was very out the norm. This talks a bit about their blessing that they had received. I think it's interesting that Job's three daughters here, 
And as verse 14, Jemima, Keziah, and Karen Hapuk, these, uh, these are the th- what some commentators say, the three faces of grace. The, the writer of Job, or maybe Job himself, who wrote this, we don't know who did it exactly, he, um, they, they mentioned by name these daughters. We don't know anything about the boys, but we know his three daughters. And it's interesting. The names, the meaning, look at this. Jemima, okay, means turtle dove or daybright. Kazia means cinnamon or cassia, a fragrant scent. And then Karen Hapuch. Karen Hapuch means a jar of eye paint, like makeup, uh, or a horn of beauty is the idea. Uh, here's the idea. It's kind of a poetic term, and in this idea means that she was so beautiful, she needed no cosmetics. Could you imagine that? Having a daughter that beautiful, she didn't even need makeup. That's the beautiful, the beautiful daughters of Job. Man, they stood out. No wonder they got an inheritance, okay? That's the idea. So here's the thing. As this family grew, they became strong. We talked earlier this morning that your family, the children are a blessing, but they're also your protection. Remember we talked about what uh, uh, Wiersbe said, that the children are an armory, or excuse me, they're, the, they're a, um, a treasury, but they're also an armory. They're like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, Okay, and this is the idea we have as well. So these 10 children were really an answer to Job's prayer. He prayed for them, he interceded for them, and yet at the very end of his life, he saw an answer to his prayer. In that, Job experienced the grace of God as he prayed for his children. It says here in verse 16 that he saw his sons and his son's sons, uh, uh, even unto four generations. So in other words, he got to see his days. He got to see that protection uh, of his family tree, for example, that that extended to. So very important. So Job experienced the grace of God as he prayed for his children. The last part of Job says, So Job died being old and full of days. Full of days means he was satisfied. He was contented in the Lord. And which is a real opposite from what Job dealt with through most of this book. It's like, man, if you read that book or read that verse... And say, wait a minute, Job went through everything. How is he full of days? How is his life completed, satisfied, contented? Because he rested in the Lord by knowing who God is. We are blessed as we pray for our children. We will learn to depend on God as we pray for our children. We will experience knowing God as we pray for our children. Charles Spurgeon said this, We are not all like Job, but we all have Job's God. Though we have neither risen to Job's wealth, nor will we probably ever sink to Job's poverty, yet there is the same God above us, if we be high, and the same God with his everlasting arms beneath us, if we brought low. And what the Lord did for Job, he will do for us. Not precisely in the same form, but in the same spirit, and with like design. I like that. We are not all like Job, but we have Job's God. And the thing is this, if we praying for our children, our grandchildren, and the heartaches and the blessings that do come with that, each child individually, we know that even through those trials that, that are there, God is calling on us to pray for them, to intercede for them, in that we grow in Him, we grow maturity, and as God blesses you as a parent or a grandparent or great-grandparent, that blessing is going to flow to your generations to follow. And God will not forsake you. He will hear you. We can rest in that. Amen. Let's pray for our children.